Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Just kidding. This isn't sponsored by McDonald's yet. We wouldn't feed you that industrial sludge. What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Back on the Bitcoin technical side, talking about impervious.ai, which is a team building an API that allow individuals to build tools that leverage the Lightning Network to create data storage and transfer apps that, that compete with centralized data collectors like Facebook, VPNs, an expansive list of, of service providers, if you will. Layer three. I think impervious can easily be considered layer three. There's a budding layer three on top of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. I'm sure there's some on top of Liquid as well. Layered stack. It's getting built out, freaks. It's getting built out. And this is a really interesting project, really interesting team. And they've got something uh, that seems to work. They're launching their API in a couple weeks. You guys will hear all about it in the episode during which I interview the CEO, co-founder, Chase Perkins. This was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's helping you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets, if you so please. We're saying sats. Sat sats. Sat sats sat sats sat sats. Ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving sats. We're taking it from McDonald's. Screw you, Ronald. We're saying sats because sats are the standard. Is 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. You don't need to stack a whole Bitcoin, a fraction of Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes that very easy. You can DCA in the sats. You can set it and forget it. You set a set amount. You can buy daily, weekly, or bi weekly. You can get sats back on their boost sometimes. They have their Bitcoin boost. You, you go use. Use the boost card wherever Visa is accepted uh, when the boost is available and you get sats back there. If not, you can use your boost uh, partner merchants and other deals to get cash back that you can then use to stack sats. Type of that cash app can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. They're doing it. They're doing it, freaks. Download the cash app if you haven't done so yet. Use the code stacking sats. That's S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. This was also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here with a product that allows you. To not have to sell your Bitcoin if you need liquidity. Lend at Hoddle Hoddle is a new non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. Available to U.S. citizens as well. The only Hoddle Hoddle, or one of the only, one of the few Hoddle Hoddle products is available to U.S. customers, and that is because it's non-custodial. No KYC, no AML. Uh, here's how it works. If you're short funds, you don't need to sell your Bitcoin. Get some liquidity by borrowing. Use your, using your Bitcoin as collateral on the lend.hodlhodl platform and the way it works is you put your bitcoin up as collateral you put it in a multi-sig escrow account you hold one key your counterparty holds one key and hodl hodl holds one key the benefit of this is while you don't have control you can't move the sats out during the duration of your loan obviously because you need to pay that back and if you had control it just wouldn't make any sense so you hold one key your counterparty holds one key hodl hodl holds the third Beauty of this is since you hold a key, you have visibility into the multi-sig wallet. You can see that your sats are in the wallet and not being rehypothecated. So you know that they're there. If you're paying back your loan, your sats are going to come back to you. 
after the loan is paid back. If you have some stable coins laying around, you're looking to get some returns, you can enter the other side of this order book and put your stable coins up to be lent out and you get a yield on that for people who are looking for liquidity and don't want to sell their Bitcoin. So they'll put their Bitcoin up as collateral. We'll give them their stable coins and they'll pay you back what you gave them plus interest. Create your offers and set your own terms on lend.hodlhodl.com. It's L-E-N-D.H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com. This was also brought to you by a good friend at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into the mining game. And the way they do this is they set up uh, good relationships with the mining ASIC manufacturers, so Bitmain, MicroBT. Uh, they allow users to go to compassmining.io. You pick a miner, the mining model you want, they get it for you. And then you pick a hosting provider. They're trying to get you a miner and then competitive electricity cost rates. So you'll get your miner. You'll choose from a, a plethora of, of hosting facilities that you can plug it in again at competitive electricity rates. You get the miner. You pick the hosting facility. Compass gets the miner. They they give you the VIN number. The VIN number. So that you you have a specific miner that's dedicated to you. They plug it in at that hosting facility of your choice. And they start streaming the sats mined with that Bitcoin. Or excuse me, with that miner to a wallet of your choice. You pay the electricity cost. You pay down the miner. And then you just get the sats on top of that. Go to compassmining.io, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io to check it out. We've got a special link in the show notes if you guys are interested. Using the link helps us out. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. Brains is the, the team behind Slush Pool. Slush Pool, obviously, the uh, oldest mining pool in Bitcoin, the first. The oldest, the first, longest lasting. But we're not here to talk about, so we'll talk about it a little bit at the end. What we're here to talk about is uh, the Brains OS Plus Manager. Okay, so the first update, it's a new product. It's an online platform that enables miners to remotely monitor and manage all their ASICs running Brains OS Plus. Right, so Brains OS Plus is the firmware that they offer that allows you to stack more sats with your hash uh, for particular mining models. So if you're running Brains OS Plus firmware, on your miners, you can now leverage the Brains OS Plus Manager. Uh, this will help miners improve uptime and keep their farms running optimally without the hassle of needing to be on site 24-7. The manager is and will always be free for Brains OS Plus miners. Free. Free 99 freaks. And they can connect to an unlimited number of devices. You can monitor this on your phone, your laptop, your tablet, whatever whatever tickles your fancy. And security and efficiency were the top priorities with Brains OS Plus Manager. It uses Stratum V2 for smaller and less frequent data transfers with all ASIC configuration and telemetry data being sent via encrypted connections, which protect against eavesdropping and man-in-the-middle attacks. Very important. You don't want somebody to jack your hash. Make sure you're using Stratum V2, which Brains OS Plus Manager does leverage. Brains OS Plus firmware does leverage so for details on the manager and how to set it up with your mining operation go to brains.com slash blog and check out the brains os plus manager launch article that's brains b-r-a-i-i-n-s dot com double i b-r-a-i-i-n-s dot com slash blog check out the brains os plus manager launch and then on top of that we're still waiting still waiting slush pool apparently is getting a major update the first major update in many years we'll have some new industry first features including ultra-flexible payout system, customizable mining reward splitting, and best of all, dark theme for 24-7 hash rate monitoring. That's easy on the eyes. Follow slush underscore pool on Twitter to see the announcement when the pool update goes live. 
and enjoy this rip. It feels like things are happening. Everybody's focused on DeFi, 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 but Bitcoin in layers is starting to ingratiate itself, integrate itself into the bigger, larger internet stack. Enjoy, freaks. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your life. Live it. You only got one. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Your boy, Marty Bent here on a lovely Monday morning, afternoon now where I am, morning where my guest is. I'm sitting down with Chase Perkins, CEO of Impervious AI. Chase, what's going on, sir? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, Marty. Thanks for having us on. Coming on. Like I was saying, we were having like a little pre-podcast powwow, as tends to happen when we're, when we're about to record a podcast. Uh... I was introduced to you by Desiree Dickerson at uh, Lightning Labs. Uh, had a conversation with Ryan Gentry this morning about what you guys are building and, and uh, saw your presentation at Bitcoin Magazine, uh, or excuse me, Bitcoin 2021, hosted by Bitcoin Magazine. It seems like you are building something extremely interesting, leveraging the Lightning Network, impervious. Uh, like we were saying, you're, you're building a VPN, but that's just one application of what you're building. So I guess let's just jump into it. Totally. And like, what is impervious? Why did you guys build it? And how are you leveraging Lightning? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so impervious is building like layer three of Bitcoin, like a programmatic layer, like you were saying. So anyone can build on Lightning or Bitcoin. Um, and reap the benefits of censorship resistant, surveillance resistant technology without necessarily understanding anything about Bitcoin or Lightning. So um, as we know, you know, programmatic money is, is just the beginning. So if you were to enable streaming micropayments, uh, video, podcast, um, audiobook, presentations, anything, you can go peer to peer um, with kind of a traditional application or service or from the ground up. So yeah, we're this programmatic layer and we're, we're super excited about it. Like, and I appreciate the plug from, from Des and, and Ryan at Lightning. Um, they've been incredible and, and very supportive of us. And, uh, you know, they've really led the way with this elegant technology. With that real-time layer two settlement layer, you can do so much more than just uh, real-time uh, settlement payments. Like you can enable this like peer-to-peer uh, like cryptographically secure, resilient, censorship resistant communication channels. Like, so yeah, happy to discuss it. Yeah. Like I was saying, we've talked about the idea of having a VPN running through the Lightning Network uh, for, it feels like a couple of years now, at least on Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. I've had conversations, I've had conversations with other individuals building on the lightning network and said yeah it's possible and that's what you guys demoed at bitcoin 2021 was was this vpn so i guess just to give the freaks out there a practical application of what you're building how, do, how does the vpn work 
well freaks, uh, you know, engaged thrusters. So basically, we're using uh, Lightning as <clears throat> a keysend layer, a, uh, a config uh, credentialing layer, where once you establish um, configs or credentials between, say, me and Marty um, over the Lightning network, so we're using it as a transport layer uh, just for keysend, we then can establish out of band, resilient, uh, censorship resistant, uh, like cryptographically secure uh, channels. So basically, for, for one humble Satoshi, you can open up and establish, okay, how are we going to chat off of Lightning? And then we stream peer to peer this out of band uh, channel. And that can be used, it can be incorporated into anything or just be a standalone function. So it's really powerful. It protects, basically, it shields the sender and the receiver, so the broadcasting party and the receiver, and obviously double encrypts, uh, it transport and it rests the data. So there's a lot of strategic and like tactical applications. We're speaking with some really interesting parties about being able to access from behind hostile networks, denied access areas, and and uh, basically surveyed networks where uh, you know privacy and security is 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 paramount. Yes, so you're basically attempting to create a product and experience that gives users more peace of mind that their third party VPN provider is it a honeypot? So the, the way I understand, you guys are leveraging routing nodes to make this happen, correct? So, so an individual will be able to pick routing nodes in different jurisdictions to- Yeah, and so that's one of them, but we dynamically, so basically like once a connection is established and it, it's ephemeral, so um, you know, these, these wormholes uh, cryptographically between me and you um, disappear in the ether once we're done chatting, right? So. Um, we use Lightning to establish credentials to say, how are we going to chat? We open an out-of-band uh, channel. And then uh, when we're done chatting, like that disappears. There's no retroactive, um, you know, inspection of, of those communications. But that's just, that's just the start. Like, again, we are beneficiaries like, of our own API. What we're really excited about is um, the impervious AI API, which is like the, like the SDK for um, iOS, like, uh, early iOS developers, um, you know, using Xcode. This is actually for Brian Murray Kraft. This is how he, how he said what we're doing back to us. He's like, you know, early on, you know, everyone had to use a specific SDK. That's what you are. You're like the AstroTurf. And um, yeah, so we're excited to basically, again, be layer three and let everyone start like ripping. We think it's a moral imperative. Um, you know, intermediaries and gatekeepers are atrocious custodians of our data. And it's unnecessary, right? So we're, yeah. So like beyond the VPN, how do you, how do you see this progressing? How do you see people leveraging your API to build tools? Sure. How do they preserve your data uh, when compared to storing it on the cloud or trusting a Facebook or a Twitter, whatever? Yeah, good example. The, uh, so we're working with everything from like, I think you may have chatted with Justin Ravzani of like end to end. We were chatting right before we hopped on now and, um, you know, so whether you're building from the ground up like a decentralized network um, and Justin and I, you know, we're going to do, they're going to do great stuff um, and with Impervious um, to podcasts, um, we're working with a, a different social network um, that live streams basically content to uh, YouTube, 
And uh, this way they could also toggle on almost like, like OnlyFans, like toggle on for secure private paid um, or just premium paywall, like party to party, you know, peer to peer, um, working with publishers. Um, and then just like for routine data transmission, like if it doesn't have to be stored in perpetuity in the cloud, it shouldn't be. And as we know, like we were saying, intermediaries, whether that's Facebook, Google, man, the Department of Justice, um, you know, Office of per Personal Management, the reality is uh, they're all vulnerable and susceptible to hacks and breaches and shouldn't just be sitting there. So it's okay to use these third parties. It just, what we're doing is shifting discretion and control and standardizing privacy and censorship resistant technology. So like, you know, an existing application or platform or service can continue as is, but um, start building in capacity where they're basically um, less significant custodians and shifting that like streaming peer to peer when possible and like not holding any data that's not absolutely essential for their operations. Mm -hmm. So from a technical perspective at the lightning, like you already explained key send and stuff like that. So let's go back to like the VPN example. How is Alice leveraging the Lightning Network to send or to create a, to spin up a VPN to use it as a VPN? Like how is she streaming sats to yeah. routing nodes? Is so she, like hypothetically, the way I understand it, like a user could just say, hey, all right, I'm going to do some web browsing that I would like to use a VPN for. And they can just be like, all right, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to pick routing node and jurisdiction XYZ, routing nodes and jurisdictions XYZ, and flow my traffic through them and pay X amount of sats. Is that a correct representation? Yeah, I, I think that's like part of, um, that's like one of the features, right? Select your own routing nodes. But if I think like metaphor helps, and this happens to be a specific concrete example. So. Um, let's say Alice and Bob, um, let's say Alice is in Taiwan. And one of our goals is to develop um, like redundant civilian communication uh, network in Taiwan. So the parties in Taiwan uh, can always send and receive information without fear of reprisal or recourse. Um, and in order to do that, um, maybe they're choosing the nodes of which they're going through, or maybe Alice is just saying, hey, I want to chat with Bob. Now, if you had a private network, like pre-established before you're in Taiwan, that's less problematic because you already know who you're chatting to and trusting. Um, but Lightning enables you to, in a trustless capacity, establish this uh, by key send back and forth between me and you, between Alice and Bob. They now have synced up and there's an out-of-band uh, cryptographically secure uh, channel. And it's, and it's high bandwidth, right? And it's free. So it only takes one humble Satoshi to like ping back and forth and as long as our credentials are in sync, then we're just like in agreement to the form and capacity in which we're communicating out of band. So it's it's pretty wild and it's like a natural. So that's why we're jumping all the way to fighting tyranny, right? <laughs> the shadow of the CCP. Um, and let's double back on uh, like kind of the moral imperative there and, um, and information warfare and information dominance because that all ties back into kind of our use cases. Yeah, and and so with that one sat send, like, mm -hmm. is it just set, obviously it's key send, so it's sending a message where the message say like, here is the the yeah. uh, here's the 
way in which we're engaging. So you're just right. doing that. So you then, and then you're just using um, through SSH, FTP, just raw internet, and you're establishing the channel in which to communicate. And that that out of band channel is cryptographically secure. So that so basically the key send establishes credentials, peer to peer connectivity, and then we just go straight peer to peer. So like impervious lightning, no one can see what's happening out of band, and no nefarious third party hostile actor or um, a party surveying. And, um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally makes sense. And, and so it seems like impervious is an idea that you've been thinking about and working on for quite some time. Yeah. Was it lightning that made you comfortable to go build this stuff or? Yeah. Well, like lightning first? was, it was definitely the catalyst where we've been thinking about it a long time. Like, um, my team, so me, um, Mark Stites and Colin Crossman, the founders of Impervious AI, um, had all been working on this in various capacities and had known each other professionally through different circles. And when we linked up um, around, I guess, January 21, um, it was clear that like we had a clear go to action. <clears throat> and like Mark, our CTO, he was a cryptographer from the Air Force and decades of DoD and IC experience, building networks, everything from like our infrared satellite networks um, to like leading red teaming to signals intelligence to like target package workup. So um, he'd been thinking about how to protect and exploit networks for a very long time. And I've been working on it from a different angle, from a data privacy component. Uh, and when we linked up and, and turned out his his thesis at Harvard and his graduate thesis was like, um, like fault tolerant, uh, federated uh, cloud computing with basically, I don't say proposing lightning, but it was definitely via Bitcoin. What would that look like if you had a real time, basically um, like key send layer? And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because he used his own terminology, but we had all been thinking about this and then we figured out how to do it and hit the ground running. And like in, you know, in 30, 60 days, we had our prototype up, we had like stuff running, we built the VPN on the API and we're like, oh my God, it's real. And then we really started riffing, right? Like, so we tweeted at um, Lightning Labs um, using, um, using Lightning as a transport layer. So this is like, with a VPN, you're mostly out of band, right? You're doing key send to then establish an out of band connection, but you can also do it um, over, if it's below, I guess, 356, 354 bytes, you can do it in band, right, uh, on chain. And so we started tweeting at Lightning, have you ever seen someone use uh, Lightning uh, as a transport later tweet? And like, what? No. And then Ryan, you know, reached out and, and we kind of hit the ground running from there and got a lot of support and, and it helped kind of shape the vision and really kind of bring it to fruition really quickly. Mm -hmm. So why lightning and not some other like blockchain application or your own? Yeah. Or to so I, you know, I think it depends on the application. So like step one, first of all, we're big Bitcoiners. Like we're all actually relatively early Bitcoin miners. Um, so we already like believe in the technology. It's established, distributed compute, um, and obviously payment on built into the rails of Bitcoin isn't um, just a, like a feature. It's it's tantamount to being able to punch through surveyed hostile controlled networks. Like you can create this wormhole, these cryptographically secure channels because of Bitcoin and because of Lightning. So um, 
you know, in, in the simplest sense, you could start over, but why reinvent the wheel? Right. It's already there. We're already on board. Let's, let's stand on the shoulders, the backs of giants, right? And, and, and keep going. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, I, everybody's like, oh, we need our own blockchain for all these applications. Like, I'm not so sure. I think, like, the stacked, layered approach makes sense and it's good. It's just. Well, yeah. Well, so when you think about like Ethereum or um, like Filecoin, you know, it's parties and other protocols have tried to push large amounts of data right through the blockchain before, but like, obviously if every time you go to use it, um, it's expensive, it, um, it breaks, it's congested, it's slow. Like that's not a viable alternative for like practical applications. <laughs> no. And then you're just fracturing the network effect on top of that as well. It's like another thing, like, like how, yeah. How important is the network effect of the network you're building on? Like how many people can it scale to? It's arguable. You can make the argument that you're going to want to be building all this stuff in layers on Bitcoin just for the network effect alone. If you want your stuff to to get in the hands of people, you definitely. And you know, it, it also aligns with our ethos of, um, you know, I, sound money is great. Again, huge Bitcoiners, um, but you know, what good is economic empowerment without freedom of speech, without freedom of thought, um, which I think it all aligns. Um, and that's why it's a natural iteration. Like they can be one and the same. And we'd like to build on that instead of having separate systems, right? One achieving sound money, one achieving sound mind. I'm like, no, 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 let's just like further that. And yeah, you guys are proving that Bitcoin should not be pitched and hold as digital gold or some store value alone. Like the, again, the, this is a meme that's been getting more popular. Uh, I think Ross Stevens and Michael Saylor's conversation, then Jack Mahler's as well, leaning into this, like the asset versus the network and especially the network in a layered fashion and the lightning network and what it can do, like what, like the potential of this network to change the interactions. What impervious is focused on is making sure that the interactions uh, secure freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of autonomy in the digital age like what absolutely just talking about the vpn now but like what crazy applications is this going to enable in your mind yeah i mean so so look um if you think about jack ma let's take a step back like the way i usually say it um you know whether it's matters of war and peace um public safety and public health um governance when it's most critical that we can express dissent and participate in society or challenge a public narrative or consensus, um, when, that, when it's most essential that we can participate is when it's most likely that we're to be censored, deplatformed, vested parties are gonna intimidate. And like this is all wrapped into like a much, much deeper and darker, I think, trend of cultural Marxism where like, you know, using force and intimidation to get your way where you're basically attacking centers of power. And ultimately it doesn't matter if your argument or your vision or what you're working on makes sense or is best or is rational, because like ultimately, you know, if you can obtain the power center, you can retroactively legitimize yourself, which is like the same as every despot and two-bit, you know, conqueror and warlord in history, you know? And, and so like, you know, just, for a real world example, like, you know, Jack Ma, wealthiest guy in China, definitely the wealthiest guy in the history of modern China. Um, you know, he, he ran afoul of the parties that be, he's got all the resources in the world, most powerful technology companies that they 
critical to their infrastructure, I think it's fair to say, and society. And like, you know, he was muzzled. He Where was is muzzled. He? Has anybody so, seen Jack Ma? Yeah, I don't know if they've seen him in the last couple of weeks, but I know in the last week they've continued dismantling his empire. And uh, they're now distributing it to, quote, trusted parties. Um, so, you know, they're nationalizing or distributed and, and they're making an example out of him. And I'm like, look, I mean, it'd almost be like, you know, if, if, if the mafia, like old school mafia were to like conquer Italy and, um, and let's say that like they were pretty good at, at doing certain things, right? Like wine and cheese is, is going well and exports are going well. And the people are like, you know, from a macro perspective, collectively on average doing better than they were. And people are like, well, this is great. And isn't this kind of a form of capitalism? And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Um, that's all well and good until you question them, right? As long as you acquiesce to the parties that be. And it all gets back to like Bitcoin and, and Jack Ma. And it's like, this is without anyone's permission, right? Like it's imperative to have sound mind um, and, and also have a cryptog cryptographically secure record. Um, you know, so when we talk about censorship and building censorship and surveillance resistant technology, People oftentimes think of like censorship resistance as like binary, like, you know, you can either speak freely or not speak at all. But like um, CCP is like far more nuanced um, while they sometimes do use sledgehammers and like, you know, more overt tactics, like they will um, retroactively modify group chats to favorably represent um, or more favorably represent communications from, uh, yeah, historically how you said or portrayed something. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is way, way darker than people realize. That's like <laughs> gaslighting. Like, did I write this? Like, you get me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like you're taking crazy pills, right? Like, like I said, every everyone who's ever tried to use brute force to legitimize their position, you know, retro, or I should say retroactively can do that. And, and obviously with artificial intelligence and their massive information dominance, um, they're in a position to do that and always like shift things in a slightly more favorable light to whatever they're willing to tolerate. And I was like, well, this is, this is really dark. And the reality is if we don't default to secure, this is what I'm talking about cutting out intermediaries. It's not just like a, you know, like an F the man, like, I mean, it, there's a little bit of that. Okay. There's a lot of that, but the reality is like when some, when you're relying on a third party custodian, like, um, you don't have discretion and control over how it's used or manipulated. And so, you know, Bitcoin can allow, and then via real-time streaming peer-to-peer, -peer, this secure, authentic, legitimate, and like uncorruptible version of truth and reality. And, and like, if we don't build this, like things are gonna, I think, get, uh, they'll, they'll deteriorate much further before they get better if they ever can. And if we want our, like, our, our digital reality to reflect our physical reality in any meaningful way, like this has to be like a deliberate step. And the technology's here. Um, like I said, like we can't take full credit, right? We're developing a natural iteration of what already exists, this incredible distributed compute and code and trusted layer um, that happens to be trustless. So yeah, we're, we're super, super psyched. Yeah, so let's dig into that, like the actual data transfer and then storage or lack of storage so how, how does it work compared to like like leveraging impervious's api like sure is the data stored on a routing node is it completely ephemeral is it obviously it's encrypted um within the network within the <clears throat> communications channels 
um, and then on the endpoints, I would imagine. And then like, so there's the data only accessible uh, due to Keysense. So like you're using Lightning Network as a, as a quasi. Um, so in, like, yeah. like you're using node identities to be able to access data that's being shared on the network. Is that how it works or? So yeah, I, I think there, there were two different ideas there. So um, if you're using, so again, we go back to the API level layer and the API provides discretion into how you would like to and in what capacity use Lightning or Bitcoin and streaming peer-to-peer. -peer. So like you may host on AWS, your conventional social network or publishing or podcast or, you know, or video broadcast. Um, but all AWS would see, and this is just one example, um, is that there is a, a Lightning channel um, basically uh, opened to AWS and then there's a virtual machine running on it. If, and this is an example of how an, someone might think of from a technical level how to incorporate this. So uh, AWS would just see, okay, there's, there's encrypted traffic and they wouldn't know who it is or how or why. Um, you know, th there's a little bit more there, but the reality is um, where it's stored and how it's stored is, is, is still up to the developers, but it allows for, let's say, whether that's live or whether you, um, after the fact storage, store it somewhere, you're streaming peer to peer for the duration of that connection. And then the, and the, the VPN is an example of that ephemeral real-time connection where you can broadcast, send and receive. And as long as you have a Satoshi, it's like WireGuard, Tor, Blue Wallet mashed together like an incentivized Tor um, to ensure this cryptographically secure channel, you can broadcast and, and send. So uh, the VPN is a specific example, but like we see, you know, I, I don't want to like, it's like telling an artist like how to put bounds on streaming because it's streaming micropayments, it's streaming video, it's streaming like, you know, it's on the rails, like, and the broadcaster can determine um, the scale and the rate and the cost. So what's really cool. So for once Satoshi bouncing back and forth, let's say just using API for not the VPN, but just the API for peer to peer streaming on a platform. Um, you're the broadcasting party. People think peer to peer, they tend to think one to one. But that ratio can be one to 50, one to 10,000, one to 50,000. It's scalable. It just means that there's no intermediary, but you're still from the broadcasting party to the receiving party. And it's so that's why it's so mind bending. People are like, oh, well, peer to peer doesn't work. I was like, well, peer to peer scalable. That can be in peril. So you can be broadcasting right now to every single one of your listeners, peer to peer with no intermediary, you know, no iTunes, no YouTube, or an equivalent, you know, decentralized version. So yeah, that's how we're. Never position. thought of it that way. I always thought of peer to peer as one to one, like one mm -hmm. thousand. Well, it's still one to one, but it can be, you know, like the like giga gigabit, right? Like you are streaming in parallel to all fifty thousand of your listeners. It's still just they're all still getting, you know, Marty time one on one, but the, and there's no one in between. But you're also in parallel talking to everyone else. Yeah. <sighs> it's fascinating. And again, like sticking on the data, like. So how, I guess, like, all right, how do you, how would one attack this? How would one uh, try to get impervious AI's users' data? Like, they would need mm -hmm. to have the, the private key of the note, correct? That, right. So, like, you're not going to, like, break the legit curve cryptography, right? So we're, we're minimizing the, like, the attack vector. It's not that there aren't ways to exploit. And that's why I was like, you still need sound engineering, right? 
but um, it provides discretion and control. So, um, all right, if, if we take a step back and we think of um, like telecoms, right? So there are common carrier laws that say um, that telecoms, AT&T, Verizon, whomever, um, if you call a phone number, they have to connect end to end, right? Like there is a one phone number to another and it used to be physical you know, physically there used to be operators like taking out wires and plugging in and connecting end to end one line to another, right? Now it's digital, but under common carrier law, if, um, if one phone calls another, they have to connect it regardless of who they are or for what purpose, what pretext. Um, and so, but on our digital reality, we have now moved to this preemptive prior restraint pretext for surveillance and interference in society where, well, you don't want to enable this conduct or what if they said something bad or said something we disagree with. And this party would say, you're the hosting part for, uh, platform or party. And they're like, you know, you're now an enabler or, you know, essentially um, facilitating this behavior. I'm like, well, AT&T is not facilitating behavior. By the way, if you break, if you break the law um, over the phone, you actually are violating a number of additional laws. Um, so like, you're not abdicated of, um, like civil and criminal liability just because you're using secure communication and a lot of people, but they want to use this brute force mentality, this prior restraint of like, yeah, but what are you going to use it for? I'm like, stop, like, stop it. Like the Michael Jordan, uh, you know, gif, like get some help. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Well, they are trying to, uh, that's the thing. They're like, oh, Bitcoin's used by criminals. That's always my go-to example. Like criminals speak with each other on the phone. You don't do anything. Yeah. Wait till they hear about money, right? Or, <laughs> or phones. Like, and there's nothing stopping us from like sitting in our like living room and like conspiring to do something terrible. And even then it's, it's just really funny because, um, you know, and I was speaking to, a party, I, I don't want to out them because they, they end up becoming a friend and, and, and we're working with them, but let's say a, a hyper affluent um, hedge fund guy um, who was like, look, this is great. I love it. But we all know, how are you going to push back when they come for your heads when they say, hey, everyone knows you only need privacy if you're, you only need true privacy, like hard encryption, if you're doing something wrong. And, you know, I obviously did not see eye to eye with that. Um, and I was like, but that's why I like the China example, the CCP specific example of like, it's, it's not just, um, first of all, it's none of your business what I'm doing, but it's also this like non-binary manipulation where perhaps you would like your message delivered exactly as intended. Like literally the game telephone. Remember as a kid playing telephone? Yeah, whisper down the lane, telephone, whatever it may be, whatever people yeah, call it. I was always the worst. I always, because it's like, you got to mix it up. You got 30 kids in a circle and you say something. And by the time it, you know, arrives to the last person, it does not resemble the original, you know, message. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, you'd think we would learn from that game because as we rely and provide discretion to intermediaries, what's really happening is each layer of the tech stack is really serving as a choke point for freedom of speech and expression. And um, yeah, the Electronic Frontier Foundation actually has a great article. It's um, free speech uh, beyond parlor and the, and the tech and the tech stack. And uh, it really addresses the reality of like, um, just like I was speaking to like Alex from Human Rights Foundation, right? Like 
Um, they were victims of parties aggressively pursuing DMCA takedown notices. And, and this is something I saw a lot practicing law, which is like, the reality is, um, this is this this will this will be mind bending. I think for most people, there are that we know of at least um, five billion with a B DMCA takedown notices per month huh. per month. <laughs> and so, like you know, to the listeners, like you know, you go to YouTube and uh, you see a video has been taken down because there's some alleged copyright violation or use of a song without permission. What people don't realize is like it's relatively there's free software and templates online where you just fill it in and you can either crawl the internet, you have to search it and for a keyword like Marty Bent and you send that right. Or you can uh, target an individual and you can just distribute and send these preformed, what appear to be legitimate DMCA takedown requests. And one of the crazy things about the DMCA, the way it's written is that it, it provides notice to the platform or party, that intermediary that's receiving it, that they are now on notice potential that they are potentially um, incurring criminal liability for violation of federal copyright law. And you know, at the beginning of movies where it's like, you know, yeah. 10 years, yeah. Yep, like, yep. It's a, I mean, these are, people don't realize like federal copyright law is like heavy, right? And like they're trying to extradite Kim.com primarily on that basis. I mean, there's additional, there are additional charges like, and I don't wanna to speak to specifics of the case, but um, so if you're, if you're a platform or service provider and you receive thousands or hundreds of thousands of these per month, um, you have to quickly, you have to make a policy internally. And usually that policy looks like this and each party's different. If we receive what appears to be a mildly credible or possibly meritorious DMCA takedown notice, um, do we wanna go to the mat protecting this user and spending time and resources on this particular user and account or we, we prefer to just remove the content, suspend the account, or take whatever action you find appropriate so you can say my hands are washed, right? Very Pontius Pilate-esque. And like, and the reality is, and you, you do feel for the platforms because even if in, in this capacity, where even if they wanted to start from that position, it is a difficult position. If you're receiving lots of potentially notice of incurring for facilitating violation of federal copyright law. So it's, but it, it's, it's become a very effective tool for censorship and control. Uh, Matt O'Dell contributes at least four D, DMC, DCMA takedowns a month with a uh, Citadel dispatch. They, he puts a song on the end of everyone and he never pays for the copyright and just gets taken. Yeah, exactly. And it's incredible. And um, so it's a very effective mechanism. So whether it's DMCA um, takedown notice, or whether it's just an arbitrary change of policy um, or perceived violation of terms of service. Like the analogy I give, and that was in my talk, was like, look, our digital infrastructure is like, if you're renting a car, you're driving down the road, they think you're running late. Instead of sending you a notice and saying, hey, you're going to receive a late fee, you need to return the vehicle and escalate accordingly, they just remote kill your car in the middle of traffic, right? Like, that's what our digital infrastructure looks like. These third-party intermediaries and gatekeepers we rely on, there's a violation of terms of service or perceived violation of terms of service. If there's a policy change, if there's a DMC takedown notice, they just remote kill without the ability to contest or arbitrate. And God forbid, you may have a different uh, position or may would like to contest or you would like time to migrate to a new platform or service. Yeah. They'll just take you down. It's crazy. 
it's a much more efficient way of do like why have a conversation when you can just just stop it exactly. right? use the hammer right and like now now i'm just thinking of ways like how lightning fixes this too like instead of even going through that dcma or dmca I keep forgetting yeah it. whatever it is you know, yeah like imagine if hopefully we transition to a world where it's like more independent artists and they're getting more of the money. It's like cheaper to produce and distribute content now than ever before in history. But hypothetically, like again, with streaming sats, with Sphinx and stuff like that, like once you add a video, it's like, all right, send 2% yeah. that's to, or whatever, whatever percentage it needs to be to pay for this, this content. Um, that's right. And, and I think that's where this started for on that diatribe was that like, if you as the broadcaster can determine it's one Satoshi a minute or a second or whatever you'd like to set it to, it also empowers, right, the parties. And it provides like full discretion control. And so it provides both like a financial mechanism, but also a technical mechanism where um, I think for platforms or services, whether it's like a Substack or uh, that wants to you know, build another ethos, we don't wanna be the parties dictating you know, in controlling what's being written and, and, and spoken, um, or whether you're like a YouTube, um, where ultimately I think they should all have a mechanism where they're like, look, if, if the, if the broadcasting party decides to toggle on peer to peer, like that's out of our hands, you know, and fireside chats doing some really cool stuff. Fallon, shout out to Fallon. She's a friend of mine and uh, her co-founders, Mark Cuban. Um, they're doing some really cool stuff and, and that's in the works where, you can toggle on peer to peer. So you're broadcasting, you know, to your typical audience via YouTube, via Instagram and Facebook, but also like maybe you're in an area or part of the world where what a party has to say would be frowned upon and you don't want that associated, right? So this is with a chilling effect, but maybe you would like the ability to consume, to send and receive information. And so like Fireside or, a, or you know, Marty's listeners might decide like for this, like I'm going to toggle on and maybe it costs a dollar. Maybe it's just free and it's just one Satoshi back and forth, but it allows parties to know they can always send and receive information, right? They can always get there. And it's at your discretion. Like we are saying, it doesn't abdicate responsibility. It's not like a magic universe. Like, Hey, look, that's on you. <laughs> and that's, Something we say a lot too. Like again, like you said, it doesn't abdicate responsibility. If you're going to do illegal things, uh, yeah. like you, you probably will get accosted by uh, the the enforcers who who are sent to reprimand you for doing those illegal things. But it's it just the the way in which these platforms, particularly on the internet, are set up now. It's just like all right, cut everything off at the head, and it just completely reduces everything to like a, a hammer instead of like actually having authorities do like good detective work and good follow-up yeah. to attack well, individuals that are doing the crimes instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which, which is what, what the policy is now. It's definitely the policy. And this goes back to the example I was saying about cultural Marxism of just like using force, which is ultimately even the parties like platforms and service providers or institutions that might start from a good position or at least a defensible one, you know, like that will all get eroded at the edges as long as there are mechanisms to silence and you'll be attacked and you'll be questioned and your policies will become increasingly narrow of, of what you tolerate because everyone knows that actually we're going to hold you responsible for what your content creators are saying or doing on your platform or what, how people are using it. 
And like, you know, and that's one of the things that like scares me about like self-driving cars. Like, God forbid I violate Apple's terms of service and I'm like stuck on the 405. Right. It's like minority report really coming true. That was like one of the most illuminating parts of that movie is when he gets in the the autonomous car and just drives him to to a place where he doesn't want to be. That's right. And, And everyone sees that. Right. And I think, you know, obviously like society and geopolitics, like our social construct reflects the reality and everyone knows that like, if you can use hammers, if you can pressure and disparage, if you can use magic words, you can throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks, like something will, and then you can just like attack it and concentrate. And I was like, look, I, I think like the reality is like right now, we are drafting the equivalent of the Federalist Papers for our digital reality. And, you know, Federalist Papers, the listeners, right, were the inspiration for and the foundation for uh, the Constitution and the structure of government was dis- discussed. And so it's one of the coolest things about the Federalist Papers, by the way, side note, is that, um, you know, when people say, oh, just like the, the, the hyper-affluent dude who's like, you only need privacy if you're doing something wrong. I go, well, like, let's us not forget that they were all published pseudonymously. Yeah, they're right? all like, Right. Like Madison was Publius, right? Like Hamilton was whatever, someone else. And like, so they're all having this public debate on the merits, on the issues. Specifically, it's not like human nature has changed in the last 250 years, right? Like specifically to prevent ad hominem attacks on them because everyone's name and reputation and associations and affiliations, it's easier to attack that than have a an intellectual, intellectually honest conversation on substance. And they knew that back then. So, uh, you know, the foundation for it, and you kind of look at, um, you know, Satoshi, right? Like there, there's a time and a place. And I think that right now we are establishing those constructs because like our rule of law and the, or just the things we take for granted haven't reflected well in our digital uh, infrastructure. And, um, you know, it's imperative that we don't just like nod along until, uh oh, like we're in a dystopia yeah, yeah. around the world. That's, I think it's hard for people to grasp how early we are in this digital age, too. Oh, yeah. Like, so, what would you say? Like, if these are technologies that, God forbid, uh, technologies that are going to be here for the foreseeable future into perpetuity, if you will. Sure. Like my your or a super volcano, like imagine like just going with the something that humanity persists. Well, so this is like one of my favorite things to discuss, actually. Which like, you know, I can't go to China anyway. So like with the CCP, um, you know, if they were to have their way and continue just to like extrapolate on like the current trajectory that they're on, right, of information dominance and control manipulation, and being able to retroactively, retrospectively alter. Uh, records like once we have like deep neural brain implants or once we have any type of augmentation or even if it's just a prosthetic and like the lo- lowercase p sense of like we're just more increasingly reliant on a, a external data sources like if you can manipulate that you can manipulate reality and like so if you win like if that you go out 50 100 150 250 years and if like ultimately you know that as long as you control and you have information dominance you know, any battle today is tactical, tactical because ultimately you can retroactively 
not just legitimize, but reconstruct reality. So people don't, you know, like the old, remember 300, where they were like, I'm not just going to kill you. Like, I'm going to erase your name from existence. Mm -hmm. Like, that's actually what's happening. Yeah. No, the, the, that, I can't stop thinking of the Matrix, but we'll just end up as like uh, energy sources and pods in this oh, yeah. uh, VR world. Yeah, the, and it, I mean, it has happened in history too, right? Like the Library of Alexandria, right? And they say like the, the Nile River was black because of all the ink of, of everything. Or not the Nile. Was it the Nile? I don't know what it I was. I think it was the Nile. Or maybe it was the Euphrates. No, Nile. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, but, it's the same idea, right? Like if you can go to the record and what's more efficient, like if they can control one point, whatever, I don't want to butcher it, 1.4, 1.6 billion people, um, you know, it's not that much more difficult to scale that out to seven, especially over a longer timeline or 9 billion or whatever, 11. And I think, you know, it's possible we could have parallel realities. I like to think we'll ultimately win. I think we've seen such gross malfeasance and abuse on their end that people will have an visceral reaction. And I think we will make, take concrete steps to hopefully, and it's not central power controlled <laughs> by any nation state um, because we know how that might uh, end up. But I think that like, we're in a trend in that direction where hopefully, you know, if we're going to learn any lesson from history, it's um, look what happens when you have information dominance and control and it can all end that we worked everything we worked so hard for in a society in an instant. So I like to think that that will win out. Um, you know, I know Blasi thinks that like, um, and I'm actually a big fan of his, uh, that China may be a centralized model that could possibly survive in parallel. I mean, it's, it's when I say survive, I don't mean, I just meant like their current information dominance model. Yeah. And I like to, I think we could like reverse that trend, but it's going to take like a very deliberate effort. And so we're coming in hot. Yeah. No, I mean, to reverse that trend, you need tools, right? Arguably the first three, four decades of the internet's been around wherever you want to pinpoint its inception. We haven't had the correct tools until again, like the original architects of the internet had this idea, this payment layer that wasn't able to be brought to market until Bitcoin launched. Now it's here. And now we have these tools that will enable hopefully these digital experiences and products that, that respect individual liberty in the digital age. You know, and yeah, and you bring up an interesting point. Um, and when we say like individual like liberty, we, we often talk as a society about, um, you know, inclusion and tolerance and diversity, but like, what about diversity of thought and, um, and the greatest minority, which is the individual. I didn't turn that, coin that phrase, by the way. Um, and, you know, I think it was Scalia that said, um, who taught my con law class, separation of powers course. So like, I'm, I'm going to plug him kind of shamelessly, but like, you know, he even said, look, the, the purpose of the Constitution ultimately was to protect the minority from the tyranny of the majority. And when we lose the tolerance for uh, dissent, right, for individual thought um, that may not conform with the consensus, um, it gets really dangerous really quickly. And like, this is a way to ensure we have that. And obviously that's how you, you create like a perverse society. I don't think anyone wants to live in like a uniform, maybe someone does, and they have great incentives to, to further it. But, um, you know, as we know, like, look at World War II, like at history, like sometimes the most technologically advanced societies can be the most ruthless. It, like 
technological advancement does not necessarily equate to wisdom um, or tolerance. In fact, it can just be a far more efficient tool to further arbitrary policies or agendas. Yeah. So that's arguably what's been happening for the last couple of decades. Uh, we have all this technology, and you could make the argument that society is dumber than ever. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it, I think we missed the the greatest um, lessons from World War II, or maybe we knew them for a little bit, but here we are again. Um, well, what are those lessons? So basically um, that technological progress does not uh, equate wisdom and that suppression of individual thought and, and uh, the individual is, is really dangerous if, and attacking people that may not fall in line with an agenda. So like, you know, Berlin and World War, like uh, right before World War II was arguably like the most economically, scientifically, um, culturally, artistically advanced um, city on earth. It was like Paris plus London plus New York. You know, you had the Prussian academies, you had like really advanced hard sciences, you had um, great composers, like there was a lot happening. And so like, if we think we're just going to like create a more technologically advanced civilization and that it will, you know, that good will come of it, like we completely missed the boat. And then like all those millions of lives that were lost and lost like horrifically and unnecessarily, um, you know, will be in vain because it'll happen all over again. And I hope it doesn't. And I think that like, you know, doesn't mean we will not need a few wake up calls, but I think we're seeing it and uh, yeah, I, I don't want us to miss the boat. No, I think the wake up calls are here. I think more and more people are like, all right, where the hell is that boat? We need to, we need to, because yeah. uh, it is, it's imperative. I would argue it's imperative. Impervious is an imperative. Impervious. That's right. Um, I think so, man. And I think what you're furthering and I think your podcast and, and like the intellectual like discussions are essential and, you know, and part of with impervious, you know, it shouldn't require like leaving your cushy job. Like, we, we did and like put your middle fingers up uh, to start a free speech like censorship and surveillance resistant technology company in order to not give a fuck. It really shouldn't require that. Um, but we've, we've as a society moved to a place where like, um, well, uh, we we're using lawful conduct as a pretext for surveillance and um, censorship and control. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. These are all just like funny mechanisms to like undermine privacy, to circumvent the constitution and due process. And like, you know, because when something terrible happens, the first question is Congress asks like, what could have been done to prevent this? And while there may have been credible things, like you said, like just good police work, like, you know, depositions and testimony and investigations existed before the internet. Um, you know, the reality is that um, we increasingly find fringe reasons to conduct, if not real-time surveillance, enable a great rewind button to, um, to then retroactively, um, you know, speak to what was occurring. And like, I think if, like, stop using lawful conduct as like a pretext for surveillance. Like, you know, the, uh, the Bank Secrecy Act is one of the great evils we ever passed. And obviously, we see the uh, we see that um, further progressing with the proposal, the regulatory proposal, of the IRS, where uh, reporting real time bank account balances 
um, deposits and withdrawals. And I'm like, wait, this is like far outside the capacity um, historically or lawfully of um, like police powers and regulatory powers and, and authority. And there was a case, um, you know, uh, where Scalia again dissented, uh, <laughs> it was a vigorous dissent, uh, which was on the border, uh, the ability to collect uh, DNA of parties that have been detained in perpetuity, even if they are not charged with a crime. And so, you know, if you're within three miles of the border, you're held temporarily and swabbed and uh, the state now in perpetuity has your genetic composition. Uh, and they say, hey, this is important for identifying, but like, guess what? Like that's far outside the traditional uh, policing powers. And you're literally saying, we are going to keep your genetic information on file just in case maybe without your consent and without you being even prosecuted or found guilty. It's just, it's so bizarrely terrible. And um, yeah, that's, that's the path we're on. <laughs> Well, it sounds like guilty until proven innocent, right? Like all this data collection is under that pretense. Is that a correct? Yeah. Yeah. Pretense and pretext, like whatever you can justify, like we're still not using harm reduction hypotheticals to justify surveillance, uh, proactive measures. Uh, but guess what? Like, you know, again, lessons we apparently haven't learned in the last 200 years. Um, I thought we learned the hard way. There are always disfavored. Um, classes and parties in society, less favored, disfavored, um, whether that's a religious class, whether that's an ethnic group, whether that's like socioeconomic, whether it's what state or region you're from or country, like every single one of us at some point in the last 200 years would have been a disfavored party. And we cling to whatever the soup de jour of ex acceptable notion of decency is. And and everyone else is there for like, it's justifiable to, you know, it, it's crazy. Like, and, you know, and, and when we see the, you know, the resist, resist movement against, um, you know, the state and, and police brutality, it's like, that's great. We should, however, let's not embolden and provide additional mechanisms to then use the power of the state to treat people disproportionately poorly. I was like, whoa, 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 we're missing the boat. That's Right, it's like when Bane takes over in Batman, and like the whole oh, whole it totally is. Like, it, it, like it, oh, let's do it, and then like you get like the trials, and it's just complete chaos, and you're you're just turning into the monster that you're you're trying to destroy at that at that point. Absolutely, and I think people are just you know we're by definition like life is short. We try to accumulate whatever knowledge, or some people do before death, but like the reality is that like. Um, we delude ourselves into thinking that we're, we now know what's decent. I was like, are you kidding? Are you, is there, are you joking? Like everyone who has ever existed thought they knew what was decent, but you're going to treat anyone who doesn't agree with you differently. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> That's part of the beauty of Bitcoin, right? Is like, it is this amoral dumb protocol and similar with lightning. Hopefully it, oh. it reserves the properties that morality isn't, isn't thrust on the network the network has no moral judgment on what's going on and then we can we can figure that out and meet space as this protocol just works absolutely and you know it's crazy like watching politicians get very worked up over their inability 
explain it in the rules. Chase, I lost you. Yeah, my internet's still working. Uh-oh. I lost Chase here on my end. He's frozen. Wonder, nope. Yeah, he fell off. Wait for him to get back on. Great conversation, though. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Um, yeah, Impervious AI, it seems pretty... Fucking dope. Yep, here he's coming back in. You're back, but I can't hear you. Hey, sorry about that, man. There you are. Yes, you're good. I was just, my... I, yeah. was, um, I was just ad-libbing there for a little bit while you were gone. I'm saying like, I'm yeah. for impervious, but let's get back to the point you were making. Well, we were talking about. Um... Yeah, I was just saying that like every time politicians want their feet, right, they can't control it, which of course is a threat, right, to their to the power structure, and it's a threat to them, and it makes them impotent and useless, and so they then do the classic ad hominem reputation attack, which is increasingly hilarious because like it's like I don't know if they're delusional or like obviously they're trying to inform the parties that don't have a vested interest or don't, aren't already informed because like like it's just code like it doesn't care <laughs> and i think we're going to see some pretty comical examples like you know we're seeing i mean we're already seeing them right like elizabeth yeah. Warren about the energy is like the, it's all how, how do you think she's going to respond to the volcano right <sighs> She won't have a response. She won't have a response. Right. Selectively, uh, she'll selectively choose when she criticizes. That's right. Um, or yeah, or she'll just lie. <laughs> as they, as they. Tend Why to defend lie. your position when you can just, yeah, you can just lie, lie and remain a U.S. senator. Yeah. Um, it's much. It's far more convenient. Yeah. Should we talk about the volcano? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, yeah, <laughs> the craziest thing is uh, over the weekend, I had people tweeting at me because we talked about a rabbit hole recap. But apparently, like legitimately, like we were like we now have an economic incentive to reduce the potential for like super volcano eruptions because the way you would do that is you would poke hole to release pressure and hopefully cool down the the magma uh, part of like the magma calder. Um, to reduce the pressure and therefore probability of a, an eruption. So like if you poke holes, get this geothermal energy, turn it into Bitcoin, it can profitably reduce the chance for super volcano eruptions and yeah. destruction, which is pretty crazy. Incredible. I think it was Scientific American. Now there's nothing, now there's a few things scientific about Scientific American now, which is so sad because it's, for a long time was America's longest running um, uninterrupted uh, publication. But uh, 
they did have something interesting a few years ago on super volcanoes and the mechanism behind it and like the cavity that like so under yellowstone like basically it's just a different mechanism but i do think that like the reality is like we're just beginning to touch geothermal like everyone would think iceland and they'd say oh okay like you know but that's isolated to iceland and you know other you know abstract um non uh replicable uh places but like central south america and africa and a lot of the world southeast asia has a it's very active and um so here, here are my thoughts though like so i think jack Mahler got a got a softball from Desiree that like, Jack, if you're listening, like love to talk about this, you know, you're doing awesome stuff. So definitely not criticizing. I am very thrilled. Um, but she, you know, Desiree was like, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on like the killer application of, um, of Bitcoin and of lightning? And he's like, well, I think this is the killer application. I was like, well, okay. To go full circle, like, yes, sound money's fine, but we can't just like send money back and forth to each other until like we fix the world. Like there's all these other abuses of data, right? And what I would like to see, if you want a real revolution, but I'm not sure how much the powers to be in Central South America will be into it. I would like to see over time, the effect that Bitcoin has on kind of the grip of various, if not totalitarian, then possibly, uh, uh, historically, if not corrupt, then, then less than sound uh, practices where like, hey, like, are you going to inadvertently, like from like a new economic theoretical model, like will economic liberty lead to freedom of speech and empowerment? And I think if the mechanism's there, I do think that's the natural progression, just like with the United States, like once, you know, whether it's the pilgrims or anyone, like once you flee the powers that can oppress and you have a mechanism, and I think, I think once parties realize that you can do so much more than just payments, uh, you know, freedom of thought, like you can conquer, you can occupy a home, you can occupy territory, but you can't conquer a free mind. And so like, it is a threat. It's a, it's a threat to centralized authorities and governments. Um, and, you know, it's just another reason that like China may tolerate Bitcoin mining, who well, I guess on any given day may or may not, but like, it is a threat. And it should be. And I would, I, I'm interested to see that, like, hopefully we can get far enough with some of these, uh, you know, volcanic tapping mining operations and start with economic prosperity. And it can lead to like free people that are like resilient and like, you know, uncomfortable. That's what I would love to see. Me as well. That's why it's, I mean, again, you have to get the tools that can build out that future into people's hands. So I think Bitcoin mining, obviously base layer, and that is a tool plug in a miner access this free open monetary system, but yeah, network rose build lightning lightning, certainly get that into people's hands. You can leverage Bitcoin in much different fashion than you can on chain. Then like what you guys are doing on top, like let's build this developer stack that allows them to build tools that cannot be, censored and cannot be stopped and then you couple that with like the p2p transaction layer and the innovations that are happening there like in brazil i think it's staying in latin america the satoshi.radio team uh creating transaction relay networks that allow you to bounce transactions off the moon so you don't have to depend on internet service providers it seems like the tool 
the tool sets being built out. Would you agree? I would agree. And I think that, you know, like you said, we're, it's not nascent technology, but we're at the early stages of the consequences of the side effects. And it's really, really exciting. Yeah. Like we're right there. Yeah. You can fix this. Bitcoin can fix all of this. Uh, if, if, but it takes work, right? Everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin's like a dumb rock. It's like, no. That's right. Well, that's why like narrative matters. Like, so, you know, and I said at Bitcoin 21 that like, when I say that we're creating a new standard, I mean that as in like the next time there's a leak, the next time there's a hack, the next time your data is shared um, without your permission, um, the next time it's, it's compromised, just know that like those parties and intermediaries and platforms, like they were, they weren't just negligent. I think they were grossly negligent because they are aware of, and if, as long as people make clear that like, hey, that didn't have to happen. It was unnecessary, except for you chose to keep the data to exploit it and sell it and use it for ad targeting or to monitor, to share it or data control or create walled gardens. But like, it didn't need to be that way to achieve your alleged uh, purpose or function or feature of the app. And I think once people, I think the tolerance, as long as we, we clarify the narrative of like, that didn't need to happen, what are you going to do about it? And then hopefully the free market helps where other parties actually take a proactive stance. And we are talking to companies that are like, geez, if, if nothing else from the risk mitigation component, if you can take a target off our back and differentiate us, that's awesome. So it's funny because like that resonates with C-suite of some very large institutions, right? Yeah, I don't want this and, problem. I don't want the, the potential of a leak on my conscience or in my business risk. That's right. And, and, and just think about like, especially for international conglomerates or everything's digital, where if you're streaming around the world, you know, instead of having to, how many intermediaries are there between you and a party consuming it in China, right? Or, you know, Russia or Iran. And there are so many layers or mechanisms that can allow censorship um, and selective enforcement and favored treatment and disfavored treatment. And it's like, God, if you could just like always stream peer to peer, it provides you a mechanism to know that like, if it was received, which it should be, um, it will be uncorrupted. Yeah. And then you can, and everybody could be happy. Like the marketers could be happy and all that. They just have to engage peer to peer and say, Hey, are you willing to share this data with me? He's like, yeah, give me a few sets. You can get this data and you can start pushing yeah. it that way if you want to. That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it will definitely change the model. And I think economic incentive, but like, again, I think it's going to empower and create a whole, just like, what if, what was it? The, there was some survey, right? I don't know how scientific it was, but of like kids in middle school. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a disproportionate number of people percentage are like YouTube celebrities and Instagram. Uh, and, um, you know, right now that's like an ads model. And, but like, what if you could stream, you know, from whatever you were doing? Like, what if you could, there are so many mechanisms. What if everything you wrote and everything you said, you can make a little bit off of for your entire life. By the time you're 30, you know, you've had a interesting events and, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity or God, if, if you're, you say in your, in Taiwan and like the shadow of tyranny approaches and they, they initiate a more significant uh, information campaign or disinformation campaign and an effort to intimidate what if like, you're a party that can just broadcast from the front lines and say like, hey, this is what's really happening here. 
and then receive information to see how it's portrayed from the outside world. And I think that's the greatest deterrent to kinetic action is that like, you can't conquer the minds of the parties you're trying to occupy. Like, yeah. you know, they're moon bouncing the information and they're receiving it. That's that, right. Yeah. Like try to stop the moon. Try to, gee, you're going to have to go blow up the moon. Uh, yeah. Don't put it past them. You know, <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know. There's some, I'm pretty sure they're like Nazi zombies on the moon, but don't quote me on that. It's just in the moon. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up here, like how, how are you guys handling the lightning network infrastructure? Are you even handling it? Or are you just creating the tool set in which people yeah. plug in lightning? Are you guys spinning up your own nodes doing channel management or, or are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the sake of onboarding, like we're supporting the network right now for the sake of, we want everyone, you know, all ships rise with the tide. And um, I believe you spoke with Graham. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a great dude of uh, Voltage Cloud. Mm-hmm. So we're working with Voltage. And I think one of the ways we see like the onboarding for everyday developers or platforms or services is like, instead of having to know anything about Lightning um, or to know anything about Bitcoin, right? If just part of your easy wizard, you know, uh, simple uh, tutorial setup, you go, okay, one, uh, we will spin up a node for you via voltage. If not, you can advance, run your own, you know, choose your own settings. Step two, uh, extend liquidity. If not, you can do it your own way, but it should be simple steps where like, you know, it's under the hood. They don't have to know anything about Lightning or Bitcoin. And there are these great mechanisms that allows you to quickly, instead of having to piece together everything, you can just say, okay, we're going to use this API. And guess what? Now we have, you know, it's just literally like a line of code, right? And then you're streaming uh, sats, you're streaming peer-to-peer, resilient, uncensorable uh, communication channels for everything. And um, and it can serve as like a, a backup uh, redundant communication layer or emergency action message um, network. But uh, yeah, so the way we see Lightning is we're just going to support it. Um, we want to keep it decentralized. We want to simplify onboarding. We want to simplify use. And that's why I was plugging uh, Voltage Cloud. Um, they're going to do great stuff. And in the meantime, um, yeah, we're, we're going to do some stuff there, but mostly just simplifying, providing the mechanisms, making it as smooth to onboard and develop and create the standard where like, we don't care because like, like we've been, I'm sure you agree, like the value prop of Bitcoin is so self-evident that like a good argument, like you don't have to attack, you know, ad hominem, you don't have to attack, um, make superficial, um, um, suggestions or, or posture, like the value prop is self-evident and it will win. Let's just like enable it. So people will be like, oh, that was Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin's great. Or, oh, that was Lightning. Lightning's awesome. Like it enabled this. And like, they don't have to know anything about it. And so like, that is how we'd like to support it. You're going to be, uh, Beautyon's going to be one of your biggest fans. That's uh, something he's been preaching for years now. It's like, hey, you'll know Bitcoin's made it when everything's abstracted and people don't even realize they're using Bitcoin. Right? Totally. And that's and it's fascinating that Bitcoin and Lightning, which you guys are leveraging more specifically, just enables these very unique use cases. Like you literally need to leverage this to create the product that you want to create, correct? Like you arguably couldn't do it with anything else. Absolutely. And, you know, they're, you know, lightning has, you know, they, they paved the way, right? They were the machete in the jungle clearing it. And we're like, Hey, wow, you have this, you have this elegant uh, infrastructure, real time, you know, liquidity, real time settlement layer. Let's do, let's 
extrapolate that to data, to communications, like all programs without the network, right? Like it's not Ethereum, it's not file, it's not whatever. It's look, you can use this as is, it's not gonna corrupt it, it's not gonna slow it down. We're just gonna build on that, have lines, uh, sound money. And like, I think it's great. I'm looking at the volcano and I'm thinking like if I was in El Salvador or or anywhere else, it like, you know, it just makes central or the central authority or authorities like, like what will be the incentive to like spin up, uh, you know, central currency or centrally controlled uh, currency when everyone's just adopted it and they like it and they, they're not going to care. It's like, okay, that's great, but we don't need you. And it, it should be secondary. And I think that like, you know, it's going to just usher in just like the internet itself did. This is the, this is like in Silicon Valley, like new, new internet, but it is, it's literally rewriting the internet. If anyone takes anything else from this and it's not hypothetical, it's not abstract. We're doing it. We've got great partners. And in the next few weeks, we're going to have a general release of our API. So anyone can build on it. We're stuck. So we're, I was, that's what was going to be my next question. What do you guys have in store? So it seems like you're going to launch a public API. Is there any way anybody can help? Is there anything? Absolutely. Uh, the freaks. Yeah. yeah, the freaks. You can go to impervious.ai and you, know, you can use a burner. We don't care. Just um, provide your email and you'll be notified of progress. You'll be notified of the timeline and development and you'll be the first to know. Like, so... You know, we've got, it was hundreds. Now I think it's like a couple thousand um, signups to develop um, requesting access to our, uh, our API and our beta. So like, if you want to develop, if you want to uh, consider it, if you want to explore the application, just like sign up, we will support it. We're going to have a lot of documentation. We're going to have tutorials. We're working, you know, closely with Lightning Labs, but with a bunch of other parties. And we would love for you to like be the initial use cases um, and our VPN is just an example of what you can build on it. And, and we'll discuss like, Hey, look, um, look at the specific applications, how that can be packaged. You can do that with your own. And, uh, so yeah, freaks Hell yeah. get on the bandwagon and, and independent minds, free minds for, uh, sound money. Let's do it. Start building layer three is here. Don't let anybody tell you that uh, Lightning is vaporware. It seems like people are leveraging it to build pretty cool stuff. Chase and uh, the impervious Absolutely. being uh, thanks, yeah, and, and Mark and Colin and and our team that's rapidly growing. So yeah, and and we're hiring. You know, uh, we're hiring pretty quickly. So you know, reach out. You can reach out to support at impervious.ai. We're accessible on Twitter. Uh, we're growing quickly. Uh, we may not be at a capacity to hire everyone we would like today, but uh, at the end of summer, we're going to have another significant uh, hiring spree. So like, just start the communication, start building, you know, um, toy with it, explore it, start a discussion. And like, we, we love the community and the support and your podcast. And uh, I hope to revisit. We can talk about what that's looked like post-launch and development. We'll definitely have to do a, a six-month six month post-launch catch-up. Where we like, hey, let's look at what everything everybody's built. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's all into the new internet. There's freedom, prosperity, right? We've we've made central um, authorities, gatekeepers, and intermediaries irrelevant, and like you know, we're bouncing shit off the moon, if not already on the moon. So like, I'm looking forward to it, man. Well, well, Chase, I'm very happy 
to have connected with you over the last couple of weeks and to learn more about impervious and see what you guys are building. Thank you for, for building what you're building. Thank you. Again, like I said, the, the, the way to get uh, away from these dystopian models that we've been discussing for the last hour and a half almost is to equip people with tools that, that allow them to build things to, to protect against that. It, it seems to be exactly what you're building in impervious. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Looking forward to it, man. All right. Well, um, I'm going to link to everything you just mentioned in the show notes. Guys, go check them out. Impervious.ai. Um, that's all we got this week. Peace and love. Thanks, Marty. Yeah. Thank you.